Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. I give a rat's ass about Twitter. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got a Fiesta Bowl coming up in just mere hours, couple days. Uh, I am fired up for this game, man. Yeah, so am I. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great weekend. We got New Year's, so we get to celebrate New Year's Eve on a Friday, which is always fun. So probably play some games, have a few drinks tomorrow, stay up a little too late, and then wake up a little too late Saturday just in time to turn on Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. I am absolutely geeked to have the noon game on January 1st. A little bummed about New Year's, man. Just before I sat down to tape this podcast, I got an email. I was going to go to Jones Assembly and see my so-called band, who's been around for a long time in the Oklahoma City area. They play a lot of 90s covers. Uh, They got COVID. So they're not going to be able to play and they're replacing them with like a DJ. And of course, no refunds were offered or, you know, discounts of that nature. But uh, I'm bummed about that because I I love my so-called band, but I'll have fun. But I think I'll be more well rested than I was anticipating for the (laughs) uh, the noon kickoff on New Year's Day. I would imagine so. Yeah, the uh, Jones Assembly for the so-called band would have been quite the late night. Yeah, that would be, but uh, I'll have a good time no matter what. But did you happen to catch the uh, Oklahoma-Oregon game? You know, Big 12 bragging rights on the line. It was uh, an interesting – it was really weird and kind of cool, frankly, to see Bob Stoops back on the sidelines one last time. But, Colby, no surprise to me. I mean, I've been – you and I have been talking about how weak the Pac-12 is. They're barely a football conference, and they they got stomped, basically, by Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, OU was pretty much minus its D-line. Oregon was pretty much minus everything on that side of the ball. But it was it was a mismatch anyway. Oklahoma would have won that game anyway. You could tell how much it meant to all of them after Lincoln left and then Bob's on the sideline. And I've said for a few years now, retirement Bob is awesome. Like, I know we're OSU guys. I know we're talking to OSU fans. But retirement Bob is just a whole lot of fun. So I watched that game last night until it was over. Carson so I bailed at the end of the first quarter anything that happened after the end of the first quarter I did not see because at that point I mean you already know how the movie's gonna end so I'm good we flipped over to something else Uh, but I did catch the first quarter and then I watched the extended highlights today to see some of the stuff that Kennedy Brooks did as he is declaring for the NFL draft that'll be a big loss for Oklahoma Gabe Burkich who's been one of the best countries in the kicker I know he had a rough last month of his season, but he's been one of the best kickers in the country for a few years now. He's declared for the NFL. So uh, some of these announcements that are coming forward are meaningful for Oklahoma State and for other teams in the conference as you look to see what OU, who has been the powerhouse in this conference, will look like next year under a new coaching staff with a different group of guys. So uh, they looked great last night, which, I mean, hey, that's fine by me because guess what? Oklahoma State beat that team, and now everybody sees that that team's pretty good. So it's all for me, it's just all about what benefits Oklahoma State. Uh, and I think to an extent, OU winning last night did that because it's just representative of the football that's played in this part of the country that I think a lot of people don't see throughout the season. Yeah. And I, you know, everyone's already just penciling in Oklahoma as the prohibitive favorite in the Big 12 next year. And while on the surface, I, I, I would agree with that, losing Kennedy Brooks, their leading rusher. You mentioned it, Gay Burkich as well, the, one of the best kickers in the country. And kind of what's looming over Oklahoma heading into next year going up against, because, again, Oklahoma's going to be in the Big 12 next year. 
They're not bouncing to the SEC. But what's looming over them is this decision or not indecision rather from Caleb Williams. And there was all this kumbaya talk all week about Caleb Williams coming back, but the word kind of out of Norman from people that follow that program is he might leave. And if Colby, if that were to happen, I mean, I'm sure Oklahoma would land a, a really good quarterback in the transfer portal. It's, it's not like Oklahoma's just going to be playing Ralph Rucker, their third string walk on quarterback. But if without Caleb Williams, I think Oklahoma State should, should be the favorite in the Big 12 next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on – it's hard to say right now as we sit here on December 30th, 2021. But that's a very big deal whether Caleb winds up back in Oklahoma. I tend to lean on the side that he will. I don't know that there's a better situation out there for him than Oklahoma. Oklahoma's going to have a good running game like they always do. They're going to have a good offensive line. They're going to have good receivers. It looks like Theo Weiss and Marvin Mims may both be coming back. So it's a bit odd that it's taken him this long, but I kind of understand it. You know, he – doesn't want to jump to a decision too quickly because as soon as you decide that you announce you're going into the portal or you announce you're coming back, I mean, those decisions are set in stone. So I don't blame him for taking his time, making sure that he's talked with everybody he needs to talk to, understands every opportunity that he has, and then decides what he wants to do because the way that I predict this conference next season will largely hinge on whether Caleb Williams winds up back in Norman because I do think he is a very special talent, uh, regardless of what Oklahoma State did to him in that second half in Stillwater a few weeks ago. Well, the reason I'm saying it's indecision, I, I know he's taking his time and all those things, but, you know, Gabe, Gabe Eichert and Teddy Lehman, who do the radio broadcast for Oklahoma, they have their own podcast, the Oklahoma Breakdown. A couple of weeks ago, they were, like, certain he was coming back. And on their post-game podcast, uh, that they broadcast last night that you can listen to now. It didn't sound like, like Gabe was saying he's here. He's not liking the things he's hearing. Teddy was already kind of like having the attitude of, you know, if you don't want to be here to hell with him, Oh, you'll be just fine. So I think the word out of the Alamo bowl, I think we a lot more people from Norman are way less confident that he's absolutely coming back. So that, that would send shockwaves for the Big 12 and certainly for Oklahoma State if, if they don't have him back. So that, that's a huge story as we monitor it uh, heading into next year. Can I throw Re a fun conspiracy at you just real quick before we get off this? Fun conspiracy. I would love you to. Fun conspiracy. Caleb leaves. Casey Thompson comes back to Norman and starts next year. Oh, that is spicy. Probably not going to happen, but think of a more fun theory than Casey Thompson starting for OU next season. That would be fun. Uh, probably fun for Oklahoma State, too. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be I mean, a lot look, I, I love Casey. He's a great player in high school, and he's just seems to have a great head on his shoulders. But you'd rather play against him than Caleb Williams. Oh, absolutely you would, especially if you're Jason Taylor. Jason Taylor is one of Casey Thompson's leading receivers. Uh, one last thing before we bring on our man, Caden McFarland from KJRH Channel 2 up in Tulsa. He's a Notre Dame super fan. He's going to give us some perspective on the Fiesta Bowl. But one more thing about the uh, the Alamo Bowl, Colby. Did you enjoy the Sooners after they scored a touchdown? The players putting on a cowboy hat. The stadium PA playing "Should Have Been a Cowboy" by Toby Keith. Uh, I thought that was uh, thought that was pretty funny to me. I don't know how you felt about it. I thought it was a little odd because you have to know what you're doing there, right? I mean, one of your main rivals, your in-state rival, are the Cowboys. Gundy just wore the Cowboy hat after Bedlam. And now it's like they're trying to make the Cowboy hat their thing, which, I mean, hey, they can try, but 
I don't think they're going to have a lot of success considering Oklahoma State is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I did think it was weird. I did think it was funny. I've always thought it was funny that Toby Keith, who was like number one OU alum, had one of his most famous, if not his most famous song, is should have been a cowboy. It, it's always been a little ironic and a little funny, but they just really super hard leaned into it last night, which was interesting. Well, they used to play it after like football and basketball games. They quit oh, yeah. doing it, I think, just because he's an alum, even though it's like so perfect that he is or that he's not even an alum, that he's an OU fan. Uh, but they, they've they replaced it with Garth Brooks. So I, I like that since he's an Oklahoma State alum as well. But I did think that was that was pretty funny. But I, apparently Bob Stoops was given that hat by the Alamo Bowl people. He's like, what am I going to do with this? And he had the idea to make it like the touchdown hat which I can't imagine they'll be wearing that in Bedlam next year. <laughs> right. Yeah. No doubt about that. Uh, college football playoff. Uh, who do you like? Who do you like in that? Uh, Carson, I'm going to go out on a lamb, on a limb, not a lamb. Uh, I, I started to say limb, and then I wanted to say branch, and I, I said lamb. I'm going to go out on a limb and take Bama. What do you think? Oh, they're probably the, the betting favorite, are they not? Uh, I can pull it up right now. Last I saw, they were 13 and a half over Cincinnati, but I can pull up and see what they are. Yeah, it's tough because it they weren't they weren't super impressive this year, and if Auburn doesn't screw that game up, they're not even in the playoff. And, I mean, it's just uh, – it's, it's crazy. But I, I think you're – I think they're, they're going to handle Cincinnati. Like, Cincinnati, ironically, would have rather have played Georgia. They lost to Georgia on a last-second field goal in last year's bowl game. Uh, Georgia's just not as explosive on offense as Bama. And Cincinnati's just not explosive enough on, on offense to keep up with Alabama. So I think that's that's a good pick for the national champ. And I would probably have to go with Bama as well. I just I have no confidence in Georgia's offense, and I certainly have zero confidence in Michigan hanging with with Georgia, let alone Alabama. Yeah, so I'm looking at it right now. Alabama's plus 120 to win the national title. If you're not a gambler, that means you bet $100 that you'd get 120 back. Uh, Georgia's plus 150, and then after Alabama and Georgia, you drop way off to Michigan at plus 550, and then Cincinnati is plus 1100, which is 11 to 1. You bet 100, you win 1100. Uh, but if you think that Alabama and Georgia are both going to win their semifinal games, which I think most of us do, then you can bet on the exact outcome of the NCAA championship game. Uh, and that's plus 195 to bet Alabama defeats Georgia. I, of course, Carson, have been holding on to an Alabama ticket all year. You want to take a guess as to win during this college football season? I bet Alabama to win the national title. Uh, right after they lost? It was the morning after they lost to Texas A&M and the sky was falling and they had a tough schedule ahead of them. And this just might be the year where they can't make it happen. And I rolled my eyes and I thought, okay, I'm going to go get this line while it's bigger than it'll be all season. I think it was like three or four to one. It still wasn't very big because it's Alabama, but it's still, you know, roughly triple what it would have been otherwise. Uh, I mean, Alabama's Alabama, and there's a reason. They, they've got NFL guys who are backing up NFL guys who are backing up NFL guys. And Cincinnati's a great football team. I, I hope that none of this is coming off as like Cincinnati doesn't play good football or anything like that. Cincinnati plays great football. It's just a different level in Tuscaloosa. It, it's... It's like they're not even playing the same game that everybody else is playing because they're too deep at every single position with guys who could be an all-pro one day in the NFL. It's, it's really remarkable what they've built down there, and I expect them to pretty handily get after Cincinnati. I, I would expect them to cover somewhere in the neighborhood of 41-20, something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I, I think, you know, Bama was winning national championships when they had a plotting offense with Greg McElroy. 
now that they've got NFL first round quarterbacks and spread offense with NFL wide receivers, it's, it's pretty much a wrap. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's Bama. You're right. And I, I would love to see Cincinnati win. And uh, God, I, I don't want Michigan to win, but it would be fun <laughs> to see a couple upsets, but I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're getting the dreaded SEC rematch for sure. So I think so. We got uh, 13 and a half right now. Bama's favored and the Georgia's favored by seven and a half. And just back to what you were touching on with Bama and their quarterback play. We all knew at some point that would catch up to the rest of the roster. The last four quarterbacks in Tuscaloosa, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa, Mac Jones, and now Bryce Young. It's just, it's a factory. They're an absolute factory. Yep, they are. We're, we're awaiting the arrival of uh, Caden McFarland, but we did get some good news for Oklahoma State, Colby. Jalen Warren says he's 100%. You know, that was one of the biggest question marks in the lead up to the Fiesta Bowl was would he be back to what he was when he was carrying this offense, when he was, you know, an all Big 12 caliber running back, and it appears he's, he's back to 100%. So that's, that's a huge storyline. Yeah, that's a big-time storyline. Uh, at least one of these two teams is going to have their starting running back as Kyron Williams has opted out for Notre Dame, their lead rusher. And that seems like a good time to segue into our good buddy, Caden McFarland, joining us now. Caden, I think I want to know what everybody wants to know. You live in Tulsa. You cover sports in this state. I don't know your background. I don't know where you're from. I don't know how this happened. How did you attach yourself to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? What is the connection there? Well, the story's not great. Uh, I started watching sports in 1988 when I was seven years old. And so my favorite teams my entire life have been the 49ers, the Dodgers, Notre Dame, and the Lakers. Uh, most of those teams I don't care about at all anymore. But, you know, growing up, those were my favorite teams. They all won championships in 1988. So I was a front runner. I just picked all the winners. Uh, and for whatever reason, touchdown Jesus, just the look of that. It used to be a grass field uh, on a Saturday in September. Lou Holtz, whatever. Uh, Notre Dame football just stuck with me. My brother and I both, we've gone to several games together. It's um, the thing that we just care way too much about in life. Those other teams, Niners, Lakers, I, you know, I don't care that much anymore, but Notre Dame football has been by now kind of a lifelong passion. It's been, it's a lot of bad years in there too, Colby. Well, and, you know, Caden Colby is from New Mexico. So obviously not great college football played in that state. Notre Dame's a national brand. And I kind of relate to Caden because back in 1993, you had Florida State going to South Bend in a, one of the all-time great college football games. I grew up a huge Florida State fan for the very same reasons Caden did. I would watch TV every weekend. Florida State was on TV. Didn't hurt they were in the top five, 14 straight years, and had awesome uniforms, and, and Charlie Ward was my favorite player. So back in 93, if Caden and I had known each other, we would have been at war in 1993 because Caden uh, won the regular season matchup, but Florida State went on to win the national title. So we're kind of kindred spirits in that way, Caden. It, w- it would have been exactly like this week. I know that game, chapter and verse, and I've, I've told the story many times. I was 12 years old. It was the happiest Saturday of my life. Notre Dame upsetting Florida State. Florida State would have been a two-touchdown favorite on a neutral field. I think they were about a touchdown favorite in South Bend. Uh, Notre Dame dominated the game. It wasn't even as close as the score would indicate. And then that night, even though Rudy had been out for a couple of months, in my little town theater, we didn't get movies until they had been out for several months. So Rudy was in the theaters. I watched Notre Dame beat Florida State, and then I watched Rudy in the theater that night. And the very next week, Carson, you probably know it, they lost a, a pretty infamous game to Boston College 
41-39. They were down like 21, rallied to take the lead by one, and then gave up a 41-yard field goal as time expired. And, you know, my joke was that that Saturday they beat Florida State. I watched Rudy was the highlight of my childhood. And Notre Dame has been letting me down ever since. Now, until Brian Kelly, that was true. I mean, it was a rough 20 years or so. Uh, but Notre Dame's awfully good right about now, as you guys know. And, and if Oklahoma State wins this ballgame on Saturday, um, it, it, it'll be a heck of a win. I, I, don't, I hesitate to say, I heard Carson on the podcast earlier this week. He said Pat Jones is saying it's like the biggest game Oklahoma State's ever played. I don't see it that way. I don't see it as of that importance. But this would give them respect nationally um that has been elusive for the cowboys by the way before we go any further i do want to just say for the record i listen to you guys every single week twice a week very often you do a fantastic job carson you know for years what i've said about your work and colby you're doing a great job i love the energy so pleasure to be on with you guys appreciate that kate appreciate that so uh you know a lot of people are gonna be talking about kyron williams and we can talk about him here in a few but i want to ask you about jack cohen the quarterback uh, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, graduate transfer from Wisconsin, completes almost 70% of his passes, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. But what I'm curious about, he was sacked 19 times, Caden, in the first four games of the season. And then in the final eight games of the season, he was only sacked 11 times. That is a massive difference. We're going from really about five sacks a game down to about one and a half sacks a game. What was the, was he getting the ball out quicker? Did, did they get somebody healthy back on the offensive line? What is the difference in him actually having time to throw the ball and not going to the ground four or five times a game? Colby, I think you were getting at the heart of the most important part of this matchup and, and the most intriguing part of this matchup for Notre Dame people. It was ugly early on. A lot of that was an offensive line. I believe four of those guys were drafted last year. So that, that's a complete rebuild. By the way, for Notre Dame to go 11-1 and one in what was supposed to be a rebuilding year, a bridge season at quarterback with Jack Cohn coming in, they have elevated this program to a level that we haven't seen in a while. This is not the best Irish team we've seen in the last half decade or so, but this is the most impressive place the program has been at as a whole to be in that situation, even though the schedule was weaker than usual to go in, to go 11 and one, be in the Fiesta bowl in what was really a rebuilding year. And it certainly was a rebuilding year on the offensive line. So that was a big part of it. Secondarily, Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly made a miscalculation in the off season. They looked at what Jack Cohn was able to do. He gave them the, the ability to throw the ball down the field in a way that Ian Book, frankly, did not. I think they were excited about that. They were excited about what they could do with their wide receivers. Braden Lindsey is a burner. Kevin Austin Jr. is a guy who can get deep and is a really uh, just NFL-looking guy uh, in terms of his frame. You know, we'll see. He's had some drops. but uh, And then Michael Mayer, the tight end as well. They saw this. They envisioned this as sort of a play-action, deep-shot team. And they just put Cone back in the pocket for too long early in the year. But they were also facing great defense. I think their first six opponents were all top 30 defenses at the time they faced them. Wisconsin, about as good as it gets. Cincinnati right in there as well. And some of those other teams, even Toledo, for instance, you wouldn't think anything of Toledo, but they had a really nice defensive line. Purdue, another team that had a good defense. So they faced the best defenses they would face all year right out of the box. They made that miscalculation, and they just had Cone dropping back for too long. And after the bye week, after they beat Virginia Tech, and Cone was benched in the middle of, in the, of that game and then came back and led you know, a final drive in the last couple minutes uh, for the win, they changed the way they went about things. And they just went to a much quicker passing game, get it out of his hands sooner, get it to the backs. And that worked 
but it worked against defenses that aren't any good. USC, North Carolina, Virginia, they played the probably the six worst defenses they faced all season long at the end of the year. So we're all wondering, Notre Dame fans, how much did they improve? How much did they just face a favorable schedule? And I think that this bowl game is the litmus test. We, we do believe they've improved. We'll find out how much they've improved in the Fiesta Bowl. And, I mean, look, Wisconsin's great. Cincinnati's great. But those teams don't get after the quarterback like Oklahoma State gets after the quarterback. I, I, I make Oklahoma State a slight favorite in this ballgame. Probably the biggest reason it, are some of the injuries. And, you know, Kyle Hamilton, Kyron Williams not playing, that is huge. If Cam Hart, their top cornerback, is unable to play, I guess he missed practice. He was banged up yesterday, or at least mostly missed it. And then Josh Lugg, an offensive starting offensive lineman, he's unable to go. So I, that would basically be like OSU without Malcolm Rodriguez, without, you know, Jalen Warren, without Bernard Converse. Uh, and you wouldn't feel great about the Cowboys' prospects under that circumstance. I, that, that's huge for Notre Dame in this ballgame. Not, and not to make excuses. I mean, like, they're still going to put some NFL guys out there, and this will be a great win for Oklahoma State if they get it. But I'm just saying this is part of why I would make OSU the favorite. But the other thing is that I think OSU's ability to rush the passer is that, that strength in this, in this game is, is so lopsided in their favor. I think they can just press on that one advantage over and over and over again on every Irish drive and just make it really difficult for Jack Cohn and that Notre Dame offense. Yeah, that's a fantastic breakdown, and I, I appreciate the kind words, Caden. You know, I've always respected your work as well, and you heard me on the last podcast. I mean, I have a ton of respect for what Brian Kelly has built at Notre Dame. I think he's really turned Notre Dame into kind of a, a power that was kind of fading a little bit to really a, a roster full of NFL players for, for several years now, many years now. It's kind of a, a weird transition Mid bowl, it's a weird deal where the the next head coach is coaching in the bowl game with Marcus Freeman. I'm I'm curious, you know, Lincoln Riley is not well thought of in these parts for leaving. What, how has Brian Kelly felt about at Notre Dame, and how excited are you for the the Freeman era? That's a great question. You know, I think Barry Trammell asked Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, that question this week, and Reese was quick to say, "Look, everybody in this building still loves Brian Kelly and thinks the world of what he did here." I I tend to think that reasonable, rational Notre Dame fans are in that camp completely. Uh, you know, like the, the biggest problem, and Notre Dame had some great players come through, you know, in the 20 years after Lou Holtz and, you know, between Lou Holtz and Brian Kelly, but they had no consistency and there was just no vision for the future. Brian Kelly brought that program finally into the 21st century and pushed for things, little things like a video board, for instance. I mean, they were just so stuck in the past in so many ways, people get caught up in admissions and Notre Dame can't get players into school. And look, there are a lot of kids in the top 300 every year that can't get into Notre Dame. Yes, but there are plenty. They can find 25 kids who can play and who can get into Notre Dame without question if they just don't make excuses. Bob Davey, Ty Willingham, Charlie Weiss to a certain extent, in my mind, they were excuse makers. And Brian Kelly was a guy who came in, pounded his fist on the table and said, you know, by the sheer force of my will, we're going to drag you guys into the 21st century. And that's what he's done. And, and so, look, we don't know if Marcus Freeman can coach. We really don't. But he gives them, and this is why there, there are, among most of the fan base, very few hard feelings toward Brian Kelly. He probably had taken them as far as he was going to take them. 
because he did not love, he did not relish recruiting. And so Notre Dame was kind of going to be stuck between 10 and 15 in the recruiting rankings year after year under Brian Kelly. They would have good teams. They probably went 10 or 11 games, but they weren't in the same class with Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, even uh, Ohio State, certainly. Marcus Freeman, 36-year-old guy, all kinds of energy, relishes recruiting, says, I want to be the lead recruiter on every recruit we have. This guy gives Notre Dame maybe a chance. Maybe it's impossible in this day and age. Maybe they can't possibly compete with the Alabamas and Ohio States. But if they're going to take a swing at it, it's with a guy like this who can fight for the first time in my life, or at least since, you know, Rudy was in theaters, it feels like Notre Dame's kind of cool. You know, Marcus Freeman brings a swagger. Now, can he coach? I mean, that's going to be the most important thing. <laughs> you know, and I don't know that the Fiesta Bowl is going to be a fair judge of that, but um, he gives them a shot. And I think Notre Dame fans are really, really excited about that. And, and the reasonable ones don't hold anything against Brian Kelly because he elevated this thing um, at least a couple of notches. Yeah, I've loved everything that Marcus Freeman has done and said since he took over as the head coach at Notre Dame. He, he just seems like he gets it. Like, there are those coaches who just seem like they get it. He seems like one of those. Kate, I want to get your thoughts on how Oklahoma State's offense will fare against Notre Dame's defense. You sent out a tweet last week, a few days before Christmas, and it really made my stomach churn. It really I, – luckily, I had a light lunch that day. You tweeted out Spencer Sanders' statistics versus top 20 defenses in his career. And in his career, he's played eight games against top 20 defenses in college football. He is four and four, 55% completion percentage, six touchdowns to 13 interceptions. After the regular season, Notre Dame had the number nine ranked defense in the country. Is that the defense that Oklahoma State's actually going to see on Saturday? Are there too many guys out? Is this version of Notre Dame's defense that we might see on Saturday as good as the number nine defense that they displayed over the course of 12 games? Probably not. Probably not quite that good, especially if Cam Hart can't play or is dinged up. Um, here's what I'll say. Notre Dame's defensive front should have the advantage, will have the advantage over Ho Oklahoma State's offensive front um, on most on most downs, on most plays. You're going to see a front that is that is deep. They'll go eight deep. They got guys who can get after you who are, you know, Isaiah Foskey, without question, is an NFL guy coming off the edge. But more than speed coming off the edge, they're a lot like Oklahoma State. And, I mean, they are just grown man strong up front. And so it's tough to make hay. But, look, with Jalen Warren in there, we know that there are going to be more broken tackles than there would have been if he wasn't playing. I, I think that there, there's going to be some hidden yardage, some unblocked for yardage coming from Jalen Warren. And I think Spencer Sanders is going to run a lot. I think, I think Casey Dunn pretty much admitted that when he was asked this week, hey, what does Spencer Sanders need to do for you guys to win? And to me, he basically said he needs to not make mistakes in the passing game and when in doubt, tuck it and run. I think that if Spencer has that mindset, and I think you're more likely to have that kind of mindset in a bowl game than you are some game in the middle of the season when you're worried about next week. If Spencer doesn't like his first read and just pulls it and becomes a headache for Notre Dame to track down the entire game, I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to move the ball with some consistency and it becomes, a, it becomes a, a red zone game. Is Notre Dame able to force Oklahoma State to kick field goals, or can the Cowboys find a way into the end zone? Uh, almost nobody scores 30 points or more on Notre Dame going back to 2017 when they brought in Mike Elko and then it went to Clark Lee and, and now Marcus Freeman this year. It's just very, very rare. Early, early on this year, Marcus Freeman had a couple of issues kind of figuring out exactly the best way to utilize his personnel uh, they let the Florida State game get away from them a little bit with some big plays. And then Toledo the very next week, 
but they put it on lockdown shortly after and have been, especially down the stretch, a pretty great defense. Uh, I don't think they're top 10 good because they're a little bit leaky in the secondary and the linebacker plays just okay. They had some injuries there, but the front is really good. And that's the most important place. I think Oklahoma state will feel that most of the, most of the day. And it's going to come down to can Jalen Warren break some tackles to, you know, move the chains Can Spencer Sanders use his legs to move the chains. And then Spencer has a knack for hitting some of those deep shots. I, I fully expect that, especially if Cam Hart's not in there to deal with Tay Martin. I could see Tay Martin making a few big plays in this ballgame. I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to move it with more consistency than Notre Dame's offense. It, it becomes, are they able to actually cash in with some big plays, which has been, I think OSU is number 110 in the country in plays of 30 yards or more from scrimmage. They just haven't hit many big shots. Are they able to hit one or two of those? And more important than that, are they able to score touchdowns in the red zone at least a couple of times? You look at what Oklahoma State's done this year. They they cap out against a lot of teams, against just about any quality defense at about three touchdowns. I'd be surprised if they if they get beyond that, to be honest. It, three touchdowns feels about right. Uh, but they're also not a team that, you know, just goes completely dry uh, against, you know, they against the best defenses they face, they find a way to scratch across two or three touchdowns. I, I expect that to be the case for OSU. And it just becomes a matter of, you know, how good is, is Notre Dame's offensive personnel? I mean, that's what's in. Michael Mayer, when you see this guy in person, I'm telling you, like the baby Gronk nickname, I, I know it's been used for a lot of people. I don't think anybody deserves it more than this guy. I think he's the best tight end in the country. Kevin Austin's a specimen as a wide receiver out wide. The offensive line, they're all future NFL guys. You're starting two true freshmen at tackle, so experience could be an issue. But, I mean, you're talking about a lot of talent. Jack Cohn can really throw the ball. But again, I, I think it'll be the stiffest test Oklahoma State's defense has faced because I don't think that OU was on its P's and Q's, if you will. I don't think Lincoln Riley's mind was right. I, I don't think the Oklahoma, even though I think Oklahoma's offense is better than Notre Dame's, I don't think Oklahoma's offense was better that night. So I think this will be the stiffest test for the OSU defense, but they haven't had a bad game all year long. And so if OSU's offense can score three touchdowns, I think that they're in great shape to win this game. Yeah, Mayer scares the bejesus out of me. I watched the season opener against Florida State, and you're right. The baby Gronk nickname is well earned. He just jumped off the screen. It's like, wait, that dude's how big and runs how fast? He's a he's a matchup nightmare. And, Caden, I've always viewed, enjoyed your perspective because you don't have the, the local ties to Big 12, so you view it very objectively. And you've been very on point about how lackluster the defenses have been in this conference over the years. And I'm curious – just how dominant Oklahoma State was on defense. Could you believe your eyes what you were seeing that Oklahoma State all of a sudden was playing Georgia, Alabama-like dominant defense? Just how impressed have you been with the, the defensive unit from Oklahoma State this year? As impressed as, as one could be. And, you know, I was hard on the Big 12 for a long time. I think you'd be hard-pressed to go through my tweets over the last couple of years and find much of that. Because I appreciate what I've seen. I, I really think that Iowa State and what they did defensively with three down linemen uh, did more to slow down the air raid than anybody in the country. I think everybody's copied it. I saw Notre Dame basically copy that in its last two matchups against USC. Graham Harrell's now the offensive coordinator at USC. I, I, I think this league, which was so innovative offensively a generation ago, has now 
become pretty innovative defensively uh, because they needed to, because the offenses are so good. And nobody, you know, Haycock at, at Iowa State uh, is probably the most important. But then Jim Knowles took it to another level uh, this year. What you said is exactly right. For a bunch of three-star kids, and granted, Mike Gundy's got a great eye for talent, and Glass develops talent. Uh, so they don't look like three-star kids by the time they leave. But for a bunch of three-star kids to play, as you said, Georgia, Alabama kind of defense, I, I couldn't be more impressed. And, and also, you know, surprised. Um, I didn't see it coming. And, and Tommy Reese actually mentioned this. He said, you know, I grew up watching Oklahoma State and thinking of them as a winner. But, it, you know, it was all about the offensive fireworks. To see the same head coach in place and now the identity be very different, but the quality of play be just about equal in, in a very different way. Man, you can't say enough good things about, about the job Mike Gundy's done. I mean, he's <laughs> there. The Bedlam series and the way he's coached that obviously rankles some, and there have been other things through the years and his personality isn't for everybody, but who in the world could have done that job better for the last 17 years than that guy? I, I just, I don't think there's anybody outside of, you know, I guess like a Nick Saban or somebody like that uh, who I think could have done that job any better. And, and the fact that he's now doing it in a completely different way really impresses me. And, uh, you know, look, it's weird because OU and Texas are leaving the Big 12. Uh, but to see the success that Houston and UCF and Cincinnati, Houston and UCF in the bowl season already, and uh, Cincinnati's a great squad. As long as they keep fickle, they're in great shape. Um, I. <laughs> The Big 12 is in much better shape than I would have thought the day that the OU Texas to the SEC announcement was made public. I mean, this is it's still a big boy league, and it's certainly ahead of, of those guys out west where it just means less. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Caden. Um, all right. So kind of the way you're talking, I think I know which way you're leaning. I'm looking at Notre Dame minus two. We've got an over under a 45. Give us your score prediction. We'll get you out of here. So 24-21, yeah, that was the score of the Iowa State game, right? I, I think of all the teams that Oklahoma State played, Notre Dame and Iowa State, that's kind of the closest. Heavy tight end sets, big boy football up front. The game will probably look a lot like that. 24-21 feels like the right pick. I probably would have gone Notre Dame if Kyron Williams was playing in this game, if Cam Hart was healthy. I'll flip it, and I, I do think Oklahoma State's going to be able to get pressure on Jack Cohn consistently. Notre Dame will make a couple of plays downfield. Spencer Sandals will, will drive them nuts running the ball. Something like 24-21 Oklahoma State feels about right. But I've got some paralysis by analysis on this thing. I've thought way too much about this game. I've watched way too much, I guess we could call it film, uh, video replays on YouTube. Uh, and I could see it going one of about a thousand different ways. I, I'll put this out. If Notre Dame wins this thing, I think we'll look back and – uh, I don't want to say it'll be exactly like a couple of years ago when they beat Iowa State in a bowl game, but I, I think there's a chance that we'll look back and say, you know what, Notre Dame's just got athletes that are a, a cut above, and Oklahoma State was a great team and a tough team, but they just ran up against too many NFL guys, and you know that ended up being it was just a talent issue because I don't see any way that Oklahoma State plays poorly is what I'm getting at. Like they, the defense has not had a bad day all year long. They're, they play so smart. They play so tough. I, I think Oklahoma State's going to play well, and, you know, it's it's going to be an incredible challenge to Notre Dame, as shorthanded as they are, to match the performance that Oklahoma State's going to bring in this ballgame. 
Carson, did we lose you? Sorry, I'm back. My microphone disconnected. Caden, okay. you're on your way to the airport, man. Uh, have a good time at the Fiesta Bowl and um, say hi to the Camelback Inn for me. That is paradise on earth. I'm very jealous. Were you there when my man Jason Shackelford uh, hotwired the, uh, the guard and was twisting no. around? No, I was not there that for Mark, that one. Mark, Mark, ask, ask Mark Rogers about that sometime. He got, he got the big, Shaq was not much of a drinker in college, and he just decided to choose uh, the Fiesta Bowl hospitality tent as the time and place to, uh, to go a little, little deeper than he ever had in his life. And uh, the, the stories are pretty legendary. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say hi to the Camelback for you. You got to watch out for I those guys who that. didn't drink in, uh, in, uh, in college or high school. You got to watch out for those guys. All right, Caden, appreciate your time, man. Thanks a lot, and uh, enjoy the game, man. I know you're going to be silently cheering for Notre Dame in the press box. We appreciate your time, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Caden. As objective as I can. You bet. See you, fellas. (laughs) Caden McFarland from KJRH Channel 2 up in Tulsa. Uh, We always appreciate him coming on. Uh, Just a great dude and does an unbelievable job up there in Tulsa. So if you're in the the uh, Tulsa TV market, Make sure you watch Channel 2 because he's he's the best of the best. Uh, Colby, I guess we got to get to uniform preview and uh, our game picks. Uh, what do you got for our Chris's University Spirit uniform predictions? Yeah, it looks like they're going with the white jerseys, orange pants. I think they might have teased the Curse of Cowboys script helmet with the stripe going down the middle um, with an orange face mask, maybe, is what I saw in the video they released, which – would be a little bit different look. I'd be very curious to see how that looks on. I think it would look great. Uh, but I think they're going with the black script Cowboys and then white shirts, orange pants. Um, they're going to be looking good. They're definitely going to win the uniform battle on Saturday. I can say that with 100% certainty. It's tough to do when you play Notre Dame. I mean, one of the more iconic uniforms in college football. But uh, there's certainly less intrigue coming into this game, what they're going to wear. We already know they're wearing the, the white jersey and the orange pants. And you know, OSU did put out that teaser video with the Curse of Cowboys. We, we kind of knew there were some hints about the Curse of Black Cowboys helmet as well. But then on some of the gear, they, they had the helmet with the orange face mask, which they've done that in bowl games 2016 against Colorado. They, they added the orange face mask to a black helmet. So I think we're pretty, in, pretty much locked into that, that combination, which I think will look really, really good. Uh, what are you thinking on your uh, game pick, Colby? Wh- who are you taking and why? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to go Oklahoma State due to some of the injuries and some of the opt-outs for Notre Dame. You know, nobody's opting out for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State will be without Danny Godlewski, which, as we saw in the Big 12 title game against Baylor, it's a big loss. It's a big loss not having Danny Godlewski out there. But if Jalen Warren's back at 100%, everybody else seems to be healthy. Everybody else wants to go out there and do it one more time. And I think that this defense and the individuals on this defense are going to want to prove that, yes, Jim Knowles is awesome, but so are we. I mean, Jim Knowles is great, but at the end of the day, Jim Knowles is sitting in a nice little air-conditioned room with a headset on, and we're out here going to battle. So I think that they've got a little bit of something to prove, and with the opt-outs from Notre Dame from a couple of their key players and then maybe the injury to Cam Hart on the defensive side, I'm going to take Oklahoma State 30, Notre Dame 20. In this offense? Uh, You cut out there for a second. Your, Your mic's having a little trouble. Hit me again. A lot of points. Uh, 30 is a lot of points. Oklahoma State reached 30 in three of its last five games. I, I don't think that this is going to be some sort of score fest at 30 to 20. I, I'm barely taking the over. The over-under is 45. I think Oklahoma State will be able to get to Cohen, make him uncomfortable, force a turnover or two, and maybe get a couple of easy scores. Uh, also, you know what Mike Gundy does in bowl games? 
he does what we kind of want him to do all year. He goes for it on fourth down. He throws screen passes to defensive tackles. He just lets it all hang loose and has a bunch of fun. And I expect a whole lot of that on Saturday. So I, I think 30 to 20 is, is going to be about where it winds up. That's a key point, um, what you mentioned about Mike Gundy. Yes, he, Mike Gundy gets his players motivated for bowl games. We've seen that time in, time out. He convinces these guys to get up for bowl games that are of lesser caliber. And certainly this is one of the, the major bowl games in the Fiesta Bowl. I was planning on picking Notre Dame all week just because I don't trust Spencer Sanders. I don't trust the offensive line without Godlevsky. But I just can't do it. When I look at Notre Dame's schedule, who have they really beaten? I mean, they beat Wisconsin. That's a good win, I guess. Uh, they lost on their home field to Cincinnati. They had some tight games against some lesser competition. As talented as I think they are, I think they are far, far less battle-tested as Oklahoma State. They just are. And to me, if, if Jalen Warren wasn't there, I'd be picking Notre Dame. But the fact that he's back, the fact that he's 100%, I hope that's true. I hope they're not you know, playing possum with that. I just think Oklahoma State's defense is going gonna, is gonna to really slow down Notre Dame, and I, I just think they'll do enough offensively to win this game. So I'm, I'm taking basically the score that – Caden liked as well, 24-21. That was kind of my pick coming in as well. I think the defense will do enough to win the game. And, again, I think all bets are off if Spencer Sanders has three turnovers. I mean, we've seen that against the better teams in this in the, uh, this season. But I don't know. I just I – can't, I can't pick Notre Dame based on their resume. I don't know how good they are. I just don't. And I know how good Oklahoma State is. So I'm going Oklahoma State 24-21. Yeah, I think that's a lot of good points. There are some unknowns about Notre Dame because of the schedule. I mean, they're not in a conference. They, they kind of have the, the agreement with the ACC, whatever that is. Some years they play a harder schedule because some years Stanford and USC are a little bit better. They were not this year. I think Stanford and USC combined for, what, six wins maybe? And one of those was Stanford beating Oregon, which didn't make any sense at the time. There, there's a lot of unknown about Notre Dame and the caliber of competition that they've played. Jack Cohen's only been sacked 11 times in the final eight games of the season. I wouldn't be surprised for Oklahoma State to have five-plus sacks because, I mean, Oklahoma State just gets after the passer like nobody in the nation that's represented in the stats. They lead the country in sacks, uh, and I hope whoever's dialing up those blitzes dials up plenty of them. Make Jack Cohen uncomfortable, put him in it on the ground, and make them rely on a running game that is going to be unknown for pretty much everyone because their 1,000-yard back opted out for the bowl game. So I think Oklahoma State has the advantage for all the reasons that we've listed and that Caden's talked about. And, man, I'm just excited for the game. And it's kind of fun because you got college football playoff. you got both of those tomorrow. And then by the time we're asleep and wake up, the, the Fiesta Bowl will be here. So it'll be here before you know it. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Oklahoma State back in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, man, Colby, it's been a fun football season. And I hope you and all of our listeners have a, have a happy new year. Again, I, everywhere I go, Colby, I'm sure it's similar with you. I, I run into people that say they listen to the pod and love the podcast. And that, that keeps me motivated to do it. I'm sure it does you as well, Colby. I just want to thank everyone who tunes in week in, week out. You're, you're the reason we keep doing this. We, we take time out of our schedules to do this podcast. And uh, we enjoy doing it for sure. But I think hearing from our, our, our loyal listeners and, and running into them in public, I think only reinvigorates us. So it's been a great 2021 and uh, cheers to 2022, man. Appreciate you yeah. being on the show. 
Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great football season. It's always more fun. Everybody's always in a better mood when you're talking about wins. And we got to talk about a whole bunch of wins to the tune of 11 of them this fall. The support that we've received has been awesome. Like you say, whenever we're out, uh, somebody will say something about loving the pod. We get tons of tweets, stuff like that. Uh, just love our, our listeners and all the support that we've gotten. So thanks, everybody. Be safe tomorrow night on New Year's Eve. Make sure that uh, you are home safely Saturday at noon for the Fiesta Bowl. Thanks, everyone for listening to the last show of the year 2021 here on the pistols firing podcast as always go folks.